Welcome to Adventures in Marketing. I'm Caleb Wines. And I'm Chris Kent. We're two industry veterans who will be having conversations all around marketing and media, what we've seen in our careers, what we see happening currently, and how we think it's going to affect the future of the industry. What do Steve Jobs, Chuck Berry, and Willy Wonka have in common? Surprisingly a lot if you happen to be working on the Apple account during the Steve Jobs era. It's hard to explain what it was like if you didn't work on Apple during this time period. Hopefully some of these stories gives a glimpse into some of the best adventures we've had in our career. In part two of our discussion with Andrew Schaefer, we discuss more of these crazy but amazing times. So how do you think, because in my mind, and again, because this is my life, I wasn't around in the 80s in the ad agency, but to me, this was like a highlight of the ad agency business time, right? Why did yeah. Kennedy was firing, Fallon McGilligate was firing, yeah. you know, Shia was firing, Ogilvy and Mather still existed as Ogilvy and Mather, right? Like, yeah, I just feel like it's been lost. And I do, and I know it's the romanticism in me, I do miss that time, like I agree. that type of energy. I agree. And well, again, I, I think we're all super lucky, like, you know, having worked at up on Apple with people like Steve, yourselves, Lee Clow, you know, all the people that worked on it. And then I got to go, I got to go to Wyden and work with Dan Wyden, David Kennedy, uh, Dave Luer, like legends. And they're all gone. You know, they're all, you know, Dan and Dave are dead. Dave Luer retired. And, you know, I, I still have friends there. You know, Lee's gone from Shiat. I just, it's, it'll never be the same because those people were such, such life forces. Yeah. I mean, there was something special about the, about having the first, like the iPhone 15 is not like the iPhone that, right. that launched the whole I'm revolution. The, I remember I was interviewing, I, I don't want to diss Eric Hirschberg, but I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, <laughs> I remember I was, I remember I was interviewing at Deutsch around the corner and uh, you might've actually been there already, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went over there to interview and I think Nancy Alley was over there too, right? Yeah. So like, so I go over there and I have all these interviews, Mike, Mike, whatever his name was. And Sheldon. Eric, yeah, Mike Sheldon, good dude, uh, Eric. Um, and I remember sitting with Eric and talking about, you know, everything and leaving. And then I remember Nancy Alley came back to me and she walked in and she was so excited. She's like, Andrew, Eric really likes you. And I was just like, I don't care if Eric likes me. Like, I don't, I want to work with, like, I felt so weird being there and like Lee Klaus a block away and I'm, you know, I'm cheating on my dad here. Like, what am I doing yeah. here? What am I doing here? Cause it was just not the same. It was not the, it was just not the same thing. Yeah. They did have a lot of great people over Absolutely. there. Like, you know, Jeffrey, they had a lot of ex Shiat yeah. people that all worked with Lee. 100%. And, you know, Mike and Jeffrey Blish and, yeah, Jeffrey's good you know, and, you know, so they did have a lot of that kind of shared DNA. Yeah. But I mean, I, I do know what Donnie you're talking Deutsch, about. Though, you know? Yeah. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it, it was crazy because like, you can't ever go back to that time period and it was so special. And it's yeah, like, absolutely. I do think about it and I think it's like, oh man, that was such an amazing time. That'll never happen again. Like the current way that businesses and society is, there can never like Elon Musk and all those guys. They all want to be Steve Jobs, but they're yeah. not. Yeah, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, 
I remember, uh, it's funny, like um, when I was working on Chrysler, we were, we pitched Chrysler when I was at Wyden and it was like the middle of, you know, the, it was like they had just fired all their agencies and we won and we're sitting there with the CEO of Chrysler at the time, this guy, Sergio Marchioni, and uh, who may he rest, oh, in, yeah. rest in power. He was like, we went around the room and started talking about who we were and I came around to me and I said that I'd worked on Apple, but I didn't get, I didn't get into it, but I was like, oh, you know, I worked on Apple and, you know, did these launches and da, 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 da. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, a lot of people come in here and say they used to work on Apple. And I was just like, <gasps> like, uh-oh. And he goes, you know why I believe you? And I was like, why? And he goes, because you say it with conviction. And I was just <laughs> like, God. it was so weird, but it was true. Like he could tell, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's tough. You can't really, now it's like, it's been, there's been so many years. It's like, I say it, but it's like, it doesn't have the same gravitas that it did back then when we were trying to get on the friends finale. (laughs) Exactly. But it's also like, I mean, I feel like I hear people talk, like I, you know, again, I went to widen and I went, you know, and got work on Starbucks. You, you, you come, you, you run in the same circles of, of, of all these people that, you know, they worked at Apple and they say they were there there was a guy that worked on that worked on he was at Starbucks a client and he talked about how he had launched all these things at Apple you know and he would talk about it all the time and i would just be like i don't remember seeing that guy yeah who's that guy again and maybe he was one of the 3000 people that helped iTunes get launched but he wasn't there yeah you know he wasn't you know and i think that to me was always that was i think the biggest reasons why i never really wanted to talk about it was because when it was over it felt like everyone was talking about it and I didn't want to be taken. I didn't want to be like, Oh, that guy's not telling the truth. Like that's bullshit. He didn't, you know, he didn't drive the, you know, he didn't drive the tape to Steve's house and you know, he didn't sit in Steve's living room and you know, or I I didn't talk about it that way because I didn't think people would believe it. Yeah. You know, it's like no way that happened. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Remember Steve will, I remember, I remember like, yeah, just so many stupid stories. Remember we like, we had to deliver uh, a tape to Steve and I was meeting Steve Wilhite for the first time and he was like, meet me in Palo Alto and we'll drive over together. We drive over together and there's, there's, and we're on the street outside Stanford and there's all these houses and they all are, you know, beautiful houses, but there was one that was really beautiful. And Steve Wilhite's like, that's it. That's the one we got to go. And I was just like, I don't know if that's, that's not the right address. That's gotta be, it's gotta be. And like, there's these Mercedes right there. There it is. And we go to the house and we're banging on the door, like, you know, no one there, no one there. He's just like, you know, he just called me. He's got to be here. No one there. So we walk back out to the street and, and I was like, well, maybe we should just try, try that one. Cause you know, it is this address. So we go <laughs> over and it was, maybe, the address. It was, maybe it was a different house or maybe it was like a, maybe it was a side house, but it wasn't this beautiful house. And we knock on the door, like door opens and there's Steve in his black turtleneck in Patagonia shorts. Just like, where the hell you guys been? <laughs> it's just like we were next door. Yeah. And he couldn't find the remote for the TV and he got yelled at his kid. It was just, yeah, it was. And the whole time I was just like, wait, what am I, where's the camera? This is not real. This is not real. <laughs> well, I mean, just going to those Marcon meetings where he'd strolling in those shorts, a mock turtleneck and some Birkenstocks. <laughs> exactly. Or his like jeans that was, was his, he didn't care. He no. didn't care about that. It, that was not, his, he did not focus on fashion or any of that other stuff. Well, and I think you said earlier, Chris, like he clearly didn't sleep. Like he didn't, I remember being in meetings, like we'd have meeting, we'd show him a, again, Macworld, New York is coming. Yeah. So we're flying up to Steve's house to show him the commercial. He says, this isn't, this isn't working guys. You know, you're, you're in trouble. And he would leave. And then 
you know, we, I fly on the red eye to New York with the next round of work and he's already there and he's wearing exactly the same clothes he was wearing the night before. And he just strolls into the Shy Day office and is in New York and, you know, in his Birkenstocks and his Patagonia shorts and his mock turtleneck. And it was just like, yeah, just like this guy doesn't stop. He does not stop. There's so many things. There's so many, there's so many crazy stories that just keep popping into my head. That's just like, it's hilarious. I mean, all the, I mean, I was thinking the other day, other day too, like all the people that you got to meet because you got to go or you were sort of close to that world. Like we had like Yao Ming and Yo-Yo Ma and the guys yeah. from De La Soul and Lou Chuck Reed Barry. and Spike Lee and Chuck Berry. Yeah. Um, yeah. George Clinton. Didn't Chuck Berry steal a car in your name? Oh my God. <laughs> That's a good story. That's a good story. Yeah. It was like there were, it was the iTunes launch and it was the commercial where all the, all these musicians were on the stage at the same time. And the kid was picking out his, it was basically again, in classic Steve jobs fashion, we need to explain to the world what a mixed CD is. And it was like, so we had all these artists on the stage and Chuck Berry phone rings and it's like the production company. And I wasn't even supposed to be there. They were like, Hey, Chuck Berry is at the enterprise rent a car, uh, counter at LAX. And he had a driver He's refusing to put his credit card. Yeah. He had his valet. Uh, um, Chuck Berry is at the, is at the enterprise counter and he will not put down his credit card for this car. We need you to go and sort it out. So I jump in my car, you know, and I drive over to LAX and I literally walk into the enterprise rent a car counter, which is not at the airport. It's off site right. in the middle of like Torrance. And I look in there and there's this man in a members only jacket, captain's hat at the counter, just like waiting. And no one knew who he was. They were like, they did not know that this is the the guy. And I walked in and I was like, Mr. Barry, like, I think I might've been the first person that acknowledged who he was. And he was just like, okay, I put my, so then I put my card down, rented the car. And I was like, okay, well now, you know, now we need to get to the set. And he's like, no, I want to go to the hotel first. And I was like, and at this point there's like, there's 50 other musicians, including like Lil Kim, uh, I mean, Iggy Pop was there. Exine, the guy from yeah, Smash Mouth. Yeah, I mean, they're all... The guy from yep. Smash Mouth, he rest in peace, was there. Yep. George Clinton was there. Uh, they're all waiting for Chuck Berry to arrive to the stage to shoot the commercial. And he's like, I want to go to the hotel. And I was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Berry, we can't go to the hotel. we got to go to the stage. Will you, will you please just follow me there? And me and this other PA had like a... It was almost like a rolling motorcade. And we sort of like... He was in the... My car was in front. Chuck's in the middle and the PAs in the back and we're driving down to downtown LA to go to the stage. And he just goes off the exit and goes, and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> you got a broken arrow. We got a broken arrow. <laughs> so we go, we follow him. He sure enough pulls up to the hotel where he's supposed to go, goes in and he's like, I want my room. I come in and he's like, Hey, put your card down. I want my room on, you know, taken care of before we go to the stage. And I'm like, okay, here you go. And I give him, put my card down and the, and the, he takes his bags up to the room, wants to see the room. And I'm, and I go to the valet who's also dressed. He's dressed exactly like Chuck Berry captain's hat, members only jacket. And I'm like, what, what's going on? And he's like, Oh, Chuck's been, he's been messed around with so much that he's, he's gets the money up front. He gets the, you know, he's not, he's not going to get, get left holding the bag. So he's, you know, this is his thing. So we finally get to the stage. We're walking in. 
we do the commercial. He's great. We're walking out and he's like, I'm like, Hey Chuck, could I get your autograph? And he's like, he just looks at me. He's like, nah, nah, man. And I was like, Oh, please Chuck, do you mind? He's like, all right. So he gives me his autograph. He says, cheers, Chuck Berry. He leaves. And I'm like, we did it. Like, everything's great. So then like a week goes by and I get a phone call from enterprise and they're like, Hey, Mr. Schaefer, did you rent a car uh, at LAX a week ago? It was supposed to be for one day and the car is not back yet. And I was just like, Oh, uh, oh my God, that was the car that I rented for, for Chuck Berry. Yeah. The car is not back yet. So I go to Cheryl Childers. I'm like, Oh my God, like, I don't know where the, where Chuck is gone. The car is gone. Like, what am I going to do? And enterprise, you know, calls again and they're like, you know, we're going to charge you, you know, the car's missing. So we assume it's stolen. So we're going to, you know, someone's got to pay for this car. Let's talk about the insurance or whatever. And I'm just freaking out. Like, what's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then they call back like two days later and like we found, they're like, we found the car. And I was like, where, where's the car? Like, well, uh, Mr. Barry drove it to Las Vegas and left it there. Classic. I mean, that, I mean, if you think about it again, poor Chuck Berry, he never gets the credit that, I mean, you, the, in a way he's one of the founders of rock and roll. The, the, even the funniest thing, we walked into the soundstage and again, I remember his valet was literally dressed he looked, it was like a miniature Chuck Berry. <laughs> so Chuck went right in and right on the stage and his valet was kind of with me and we walked in together and Jeremy Miller walked over to the valet and he was like, oh, Chuck, it's so good to see, it's so good to meet you, I'm Jeremy. And I was like, dude, that's not Chuck Berry. <laughs> He's on stage. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. What were some of the other uh, crazy things that you remember Oh my God. Just the, I mean, just the, I mean, mostly just funny things where it was like, you know, I remember driving, I remember driving to, and it's funny cause I, I come back to them when I'm in the similar situation or in the similar area. Like I'll never forget, like, you know, we got, we're doing something for iTunes again. And it was like, we, and it was a similar Chuck to the Chuck Berry story. Like we've got all these incredible people that want to be in this commercial and Dr. Dre wants to be in the commercial. And it was like, oh my God, we got Dr. Dre. And it was like the great success. Like I could walk in and be like, we got Dr. Dre. And and then everyone's like, great. You know, even to the point where they told Steve that Dr. Dre was going to be in it. And then it was like, Dr. Dre's agent calls back and says, yeah, that you can bring the money over today or tomorrow, you know, whatever's fine. And I was just like, well, what do you mean the money? Like, you know, the cash for, for Dre to appear, like it's whatever, it was like 15 or $20,000 to show up to do the commercial. And I was like, well, I, we're not going to pay cash. It's like, well, no, no, you have to pay cash. We're not going to do this for, you know, you need to, Dre's been, Dre's been messed with so many times that you need to come over with the money. So I had to go back and tell them that we couldn't get Dr. Dre because we couldn't get $15,000 cash to bring, to bring over. Yeah. For Andrew to drive to the uh, headquarters of <laughs> death row records. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. And just, yeah, there's so many, just the, you know, I, again, I, I was visiting my son in San Francisco and I drove from Portland and I was going over the Bay Bridge. And I remembered, and again, one of the many times where there was still, you know, you still used videotape to, you know, the three quarter inch tape. I have to deliver the tape to Steve's house so that Steve can watch the commercial. Because of course you can't just put it in FedEx because if it gets, if it gets into enemy hands, then we're all dead. And I'm, and I, and Lee Kyle would call me every like five minutes and I'm dri- I'm driving. I had to drive from LA. Like, I'm driving. Are you there yet? No, I'm not. No, there's traffic on the bridge. Okay. And then like, 
next, you know, 10 minutes later. Yeah. You there yet? <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Lee. Still on the bridge. And then I was, he's like, well, you need to get there, Steve, you know, Steve, you need to get there. And I remember driving, driving on down the breakdown lane over the Bay bridge, speeding to get over the Bay bridge to get to Steve's house because, and I was just like, what am I going to tell the cops? What am I going to tell the cops? What am I going to like, this is an advertising emergency. <laughs> I never got pulled over, but it was just like, yeah, one of those crazy things where like, we all did all this crazy stuff. Well, speaking of the Bay Bridge, I remember there was an outdoor board that we had that was one of on Steve's route that we had that we had. Yeah, and it was like one have, of those things right? where once we got it, I said, look, we can never lose this board. And I was I was telling the outdoor company yeah. that was responsible for securing the, the space. I said, I need you to take a photocopy of the contract and make it into wallpaper and put it around your office. Because <laughs> I said, is there any way that we can own this board for forever? He goes, no, it, it's an annual contract. They won't do it longer than 12 months. It re- will always have first right of refusal, you know, but we have to renew it every 12 months. And, and I was like, this is one of those things where we can't miss that date where I could just see we miss our yeah. our grandfather date and some other advertiser comes in because it was one of the best boards on in San Francisco, which is a notoriously difficult out of home market. And I said, if we lose this, we're out of a job, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was like one of those things, like every year I would yeah. I would make sure. Like I remember one time there was a board that went away because the structure, the outdoor, it was on top of a building and the building got demolished. And he says, you lost the board. I was like, well, no, the, the, the build, the board ceased to exist. Yeah. But I, I mean, that was it. kind yeah. of the thing. It's like, you could never have one of those lapses. Yeah. And you can't, and you can't say, I was trying to think of times where, where like, again, the Dr. Dre is one example, but there was another, like very, very seldomly. Could you go back and say like, I'm sorry, Steve, we couldn't do it. Like we couldn't pull it off. Like it just didn't happen because you know, you put yourself in yeah. all these situations to make it happen. Remember the, it was like the, I can't remember what was the, what, oh, it was the anniversary of, of the 1984 spot. And Steve wanted to do a poster of the, remember he did the poster with the woman with the sledgehammer. Oh, right. And he, he had an iPod attached to her belt. Well, he wanted to get that woman. Uh, I think her name was Anya Major. She was a model and he wanted her to, to appear at Macworld. And it was like, we can't find her. We can't find her. We can't find her. And he would not let it go. And it was just like, Andrew, how are we doing on, again, it was another situation. It was like, we've got to get, we need to yeah. find, hire a private investigator to find this person because Steve wants her on stage at Macworld. And I remember, I, I think I was on vacation. It might've been like the holidays. And I got this phone call from this person who was like, we found her. The answer is no. She was, she was in a car accident and she doesn't, you know, she doesn't feel comfortable you know, she's not disfigured, but she doesn't feel comfortable going on stage to be, you know, to be with Steve Jobs. And I had to tell him that. And it was the only time where he was just like, okay, that's fine. Like, it was like, he could, he was like, he yeah. didn't go like, I don't care. Or like, call her mother. Or uh, he was just like, he took that and was like, okay, okay. Do you remember that time when they were going to, they were about to sell the millionth iMac? And they were talking about doing a promotion where there was going to be like a golden ticket inside the box, kind of like Willy Wonka. <laughs> and they brought in, yeah, remember that? Like they brought in 
the hat yeah, right? Gene Wilder's hat, the top hat, and it was in this box, and it was a prop, basically. And I remember I was sitting in the room, and he took, and everybody's kind of, it's dead quiet. He takes this top hat out, and he puts it on his head, and he kind of like looks around the room, and then he <laughs> takes it off and puts it back in the box. He goes, nope. <laughs> <laughs> he, so funny. I mean, he just had this ability to to look at things and make a gut decision, and it was always the right one, almost always the right one. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, the, there's the cube. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> Chris and I were just talking about that. It didn't we fit were. into that four quadrant box that we were talking about. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The cube. Yeah, remember I yeah I just remember so many funny stories about that like the all the all the scripts that we wrote to get to a commercial and it was it's funny because it's a, it's a interesting like that was the one that was one of the ones where the ad was not very good and we wrote and we wrote and we wrote and we wrote and I think at the end of the day it wasn't the ad that was the issue it was the, yeah it was the supercomputer in an eight inch cube like it just didn't solve the problem and it never went anywhere. He he liked it from a design standpoint, but nobody knew who it was for. Right. Remember the Wozniak handle? The the there's a guy that we work with, Mark Fensky, who's a legend, but he wrote this commercial about he was like his idea was like, we're gonna call this the remember the handle was on was that the, was uh, the handle on the bottom? Yeah, yeah. You had to remember turn it over and handle? you could pull out the the guts. <laughs> yes. And Steve was so into the handle. And so so uh so Mark Fensky had this idea where it would be Steve Jobs leaving a voicemail for Steve Wozniak, telling him about the about the handle and that they were going to call it the Wozniak handle. And we presented, and Mark Fensky has this very specific voice that back in that time, he was also the voiceover for lots of things. So he recorded himself as like Steve Jobs calling Wozniak, telling him that they'd named the handle the Wozniak handle. And Steve was just like, what the hell is wrong with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like every other idea had been, Presented and killed. Yeah. Presented and killed. That was a tough one. That was where we had to, we had to have, we had to, I mean, we talked about the, we had to have the doors come and record. We tried to get the song when the music's over to be the song on the commercial. As I recall, Robbie Krieger wouldn't agree to it. And that went up to his mother or something saying, you know, we're not doing it. Or maybe it was Jim Morrison's mother. I can't even remember, but it was like, the estate of Jim Morrison and Robbie Krieger both don't want to do this. And Ray Manzarek, the keyboard player, was just like, well, I'll re-record it for you. So we had him come down to Elias Studios in Venice on a weekend and not rip it off, but do something similar in the vein of when the music's over to put on the commercial. And I was just like, that's the dude. Yeah. Like, that guy was in the doors. <laughs> And he's like on a week, on a Saturday afternoon, re-recording. I still have the post-it notes that he put on the little tapes because he went home and did it. He went home and then did some more versions. And I still have the post-it notes. It was like, you know, use version two. I think that one's good. Try version three. That has a better ending that, you know, you know, dash Ray. Yeah. Like I still have that little post-it note. It was just like, that's not crazy. That's absolutely nuts. I mean, I was always amazed at all the things that Steve Jobs cared about. Like the joke that we had was he would yeah. whip out a pica ruler to to measure the spacing of something in a, in an ad. Oh my god, he would yeah blows mind. Yeah, yeah. We I removed. I remember I removed a period 
and put a comma in, or I didn't do it, but like proofreading did it for one of his full page ads in the New York times. And he called me up and yelled at me for, for messing. I remember he was like, who's yeah. messing with my prose? <laughs> like screamed, screamed at me over the phone. I remember like he screamed at me, you're yeah. messing with my prose. And, uh, I was really, you know, it was upsetting yeah. to get hammered like that. And I remember going over to Lee and being like, Steve really yelled at me. And he's like, what did he say? And I was like, well, he said I was messing with his prose. And he was yeah. like, ah, he just messed with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, these people are crazy. What these about that? Remember that email that you had tacked up on your, uh, on your board? It said, shit copy, can't approve. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that. Shit copy, I mean, can't approve. Yeah. And what and it was it was pretty shitty copy, I will say. <laughs> yeah. It was to the point though. You know, he doesn't mince words, you know. He he just got right there was no ambiguity in his feedback. I met this guy one time, I was at some party and he was visiting from the Bay Area. It turns out he was a landscape architect. I told him I was working at OMD on on Apple, and he said, Oh, you know, I just presented some stuff to Steve Jobs. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, I'm a landscape architect and they're building out this new campus. And, the, you know, I, I went in and showed him sprinkler piping. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, there's different types of spring. There's copper, there's galvanized, there's PVC. And he wanted to know what the best was. And I was like, and that was yeah, kind of his I mentality. Yeah. Even though this is going to be something that no one would ever see, it was going to be buried in the ground. He was He was definitely going to be involved in every aspect of the process. I remember sitting there uh, coming in and that was always the, one of the, one of the best things about the Marcom meetings was like, you would see, like, you'd sort of see, like, you'd kind of, you'd always come in on something like, Oh, we walk in. I remember one time, like that's Larry Ellison sitting there at the table with Steve. And then one time that's Bob Iger sitting there at the table. Um, one time, what was the guy's name? Tony Ro- Tony Robbins. The, oh, um, yeah, yeah. The, the guy with the, giant, the, yeah. the ginormous noggin. <laughs> yeah. But we walked in one time, and he was sitting there with Hiroki, and they were looking at signs. And I was like, "What is?" And I like, you know, you kind of, you know, again, it's like, God, what could it be? And we walk over, and it's the he's he's approving the restroom signs, the men's and women's signs for the for the Apple Store. Like he's looking at three different options on silhouettes for the you know does the woman have the that weird dress thing or you know what's the handicap sign gonna look like and i was like oh my god this guy down to down to the bathroom signs in the store yeah. is making. i calls. mean it was pretty amazing just after i left apple you started appreciating a lot more things especially the packaging of the products i remember when i was working on playstation oh god, yeah. you know you open up this brand new playstation and it's got the the picture cover and you open it up and it's just brown cardboard inside and, and I was like, oh man, yeah. you know, Steve Jobs would never allow that. And I just thought that as, just as a consumer, you know, just some yeah. of the things that he would do to make the, the appearance better, just the whole experience of opening something. Well, yeah. And the, and, and again, to be fair, like the people on his team too, like the, you know, Johnny Ive, of course, and then all the other people that were like, just the, you know, that were willing to just run. I mean, it was always so nice to be able to walk out of there. You know, like it was, it was one hour, it was one to two hours of, of pure hell every Wednesday, but the feeling of walking out of there and getting on the plane and leaving while, you know, there's George Neal still in the room with Steve, just getting pounded. 
<laughs> but there was always one. There was always one guy that was going to get like the death ray. I always thought of it as like the yeah. It was like the bully. Like I, we have a, a situation where I'm working now, and it's like there's the, there's it's you know it's like there's a bully on the playground. What are you going to do? And I always remember going into those meetings thinking like. Okay, the bully's out there. Is today is it going to be my day yeah. today, or is it going to be Milner's day today, or maybe it's going to be Grunbaum? You know, like we'll see. I I remember one time, like it was a pretty good meeting. Everybody was talking, throwing out suggestions, and this one guy, it was George Neal's predecessor. He, he threw out the suggestion, and then everything went silent. And Steve goes, "What do you mean?" Yeah, <laughs> and then he started drilling in, and the guy just couldn't answer the question to Steve's liking. Yeah, and it finally said, "Steve, I'm just trying to agree with you." Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Unbelievable, and yeah. it was just like I was sitting right next to that guy. I was like, "Oh man, he's getting drilled," and I'm like, just taking shrapnel. <laughs> You're like terrible. slowly scooting over. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, so many times it was just the most the most awkward. Like you're sitting in the meeting, and then and there's someone new. Which again, it was always about like Steve needs to know that someone new is coming in. I can't remember the PR company. It was like um, maybe it was March first was another that that other agency that was always there that they were mm. more packaging. I guess I can't remember, but anyway, they had a new person, and Steve walked in, and there was only six people there, but it was yeah. like he just walked in and was just like, doo, 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 doo. I'm sorry, who are you? I'm so-and-so from such and such. Um, I'm sorry. You can't, you can't, no substitutions. You can't, oh, that, you can't be here. <laughs> no just, substitutions. Yeah. Like, and it was like, they were, they had replaced somebody and they were the new person. And he was like, you need to leave. And it was like, she, I remember she, it was just, and it was just silent. And she got up, like closed her, closed her stuff, got her purse, just got up and just walked out and never, like never saw her again. Like, I mean, there were a couple of times where we, we were like the regular group going up there. But then he would say, you know what? We're going to have a smaller meeting today. So literally we fly up to San Jose, get in the room, wait, wait, wait. He comes in. We're going to have a smaller meeting. And so he would excuse like 75% of the meeting attendance. And so basically you fly up there for nothing. Yeah. I remember one time, i never forget, like we were flying up there and I think it was just me and Lee one time because like, yeah. Duncan was somewhere and like, and he was just like, we're sitting in the plane. It was Southwest where you could sit anywhere and we're sitting next to each other and we're right up front. And Lee just goes, I just don't, I mean, what are we, what are we covering today? And I was like, well, we got this, this, and this, and this. And we'd even have meetings when there wasn't anything. It was just to hang out with Steve for two hours. Yeah. And Lee was just like, ah, I'm going to call Steve and tell him that there's weather and we can't get, we can't get out of LAX. And I was just like, Really? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah. And he picks the phone. He's like, hey, Steve, you know, it's Lee. We're, yeah, we're fogged in. And, you know, it says we're not going to be up there until maybe like five o'clock now. I don't know, maybe like six o'clock now. We're not going to be able to make it. And he was like, okay. And the meeting was, it was like one of the rare times the meeting was canceled. And we just walked off that plane. And I just remember going like, oh my God, Lee, like you are the coolest person I've yeah. ever met. Because he just didn't want to go. I will say, though, that the amount of canceled meetings of, you know, flying up there and yeah. like they rarely happened. Like they almost always happened when you when we flew up there, which was yeah. weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, again, we, we talked about before, but that, that was like a point in time that just will never happen again. Just because there's nobody like yeah. him. It, it was a time where you even shy it. I, I don't know. If, it's not the same place without Lee. Yeah. And just also the scale of it too. the, the, like, you know, again, and we didn't get into this, but 
you know, as a, as a small agency owner now, like the scale of the projects that we were doing back then in terms of like the, just, I mean, let's put the media aside that you guys were dealing with and the hundreds of millions of dollars that you were pushing around that doesn't exist anymore. And then just the scale of the, okay, we need to fly, you know, we're launching iMovie. We need to go to the Caribbean for a week to shoot a commercial, you know, with a full cast and a full, you know, like it's going to be $4 million or whatever. And it's going to run on the Super Bowl. And I guess that still happens here and there, but like on that scale, just never again, never yeah. again. Yeah. Chris, what do you remember? What was your craziest experience? I mean, the one that always comes to mind is the USA Today example, which was, you know, coming out of the Marcom meeting and him saying, I need this ad to run tomorrow. It's now approved. And getting that phone call from you saying, you need to call up. It's like two, three in the afternoon. So it's yeah. whatever, six o'clock, five o'clock on the East Coast. They're printing you, tomorrow's paper in three hours. Or it's already yeah. printing, right? Yeah. They're already stage printing. They're already printing yeah. sections. And they're like, and I remember calling up and I remember talking to Reva and Reva saying, I don't know. And I said, Reva, that's not an answer. Like, let's <laughs> go for it. And her coming back and be like, okay. You call you whoever know. you need to call. And they said, yeah. fine, we will destroy what we have. We will restart again. And all the, yeah, I was, I was always blown away by the, like the, um, the amount of people, like when I moved to Europe and was working on Apple in Europe, as I mentioned, like it just gave you a sense for, again, the scale of things. Like there are people and then, you know, you're, so then you're in Europe and then, you know, the next day you're in Germany with the guys in Berlin who are the Apple guys in Berlin. And you're trying to like, and I just remember thinking like, God, there are people there are people in conference rooms all over the world that are trying to get this guy's vision executed. Like now here I am in Berlin and yesterday I was there. And then the last year I was there and there's just legions of people that have to, like you said, Chris, like he's got to call up USA today and explain why he needs the back page. And it's just like, it is what it is. And there's this force of people that are going to make it work or not, you know, like, just, when I was in Europe trying to trying to convince them to do things like because again they they were just they were one ring out on the tree from the from the center right and just like trying to it's like it was the first time Steve was going to do a Macworld in England and he did it with this like Billingsgate Market which is like a big event space and he'd never been he'd never done it before you know because they were also going to open an Apple store in London right and trying to convince everyone in the UK about the scale of what was about to happen was just like it was people like they were half half the time they're just like yeah you're not he's not really like that he's not really like yeah that. come on you're not serious like no 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 we need to close down this street here and that street there because steve's going to be here and then he's going to have this happen and you know it was just like it was like people were just like they were not they were they knew who steve jobs was and how you know the cult of personality and all that but they weren't used to like there's a guy on the phone that wants us to stop the presses. Like this yeah. just didn't happen. You know, you bring up an interesting thing about the stores just to pivot for a second. I remember when they were launching that and Steve's point of view was, I don't care if I sell one thing yeah. because the rent is about the same amount as what I pay for one of my outdoor ports. <laughs> exactly. And I, yeah. they made the strategic thing to, put the stores next to other brands that they felt like they had similar audience DNA. And I don't think they even, they, at first they didn't even stock product at the stores. They were mostly just a showroom Yeah, and people wanted to buy stuff. And they were like, well, you can go onto one of those 
IMAX and order one. Yeah. And they're like, no, I want to take something away right now. So they had to kind of revamp. Yeah. They didn't anticipate them to be as successful. They were only going to open like a handful of stores yeah. in 10 years. And then they opened a hundred because they were so successful. And I think it was like, his idea was I'm getting killed because my products are in these crappy retailers right. yep. and all the salespeople are getting spiffed by the Intel based PCs to not sell my product. Right. I need something. And, you know, part of their solution was they put badged employees at the comp USA's and the best buys employed by Apple to work at a best buy. And he said, I'd rather just have my own store and control yeah. my whole experience. Yeah. And they were such a, such a wild success that they obviously, you know, turned into a massive multi-billion dollar uh, you know, project. But I mean, again, at, his, at the core, he was like, I just want to get people to touch my product. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. also, I mean, back to his media strategy of like doing the full page ad in the New York times, like that the ad the, the you're messing with my prose story was that he wanted to do an ad in the, when they opened the store in New York in that old post office, he wanted to do an ad in the New York times. It was a terrible ad too. Like it had an architectural drawing of the Apple store and then his copy uh, he wanted to run that ad because everyone thought he was crazy for getting for when they pulled out of Best Buy and Circuit City and CompUSA and were like, we're going to open our own stores. All of Wall Street was like, you're crazy. Like, this is it. Like these guys, like he's out of his mind. And then I think it was like they had their, they had their 1 millionth customer. So that ad that he ran was basically him basically yeah. saying F you yeah. Wall yeah. Street. Totally. And I, think, I think the headline was like a million people can't be wrong or something like that. Like, yeah. And it was like, you know, here's, and I remember thinking like, oh, I get it. Here's how Steve communicates with his friends. He takes out a full page in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. I mean, the one thing when he did, we would never have recommended that just from a, a communication or media standpoint. But, you know, when he right. did, it's like, fine. It's like, we have all these other ads that are promoting the things that are going to help sell him, sell a bunch of more products. But you're right. That was like a quote unquote love letter to his, his friends. Yeah. All right, should we wrap up this session? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, an hour great. and a half. That yeah. uh, it was so uh, fun. We'll, we'll have. I'll cut this down, and maybe we'll break it into a couple of parts or something. <laughs> <laughs>